Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. As we head towards Halloween in just a few days, I spent much of the week revisiting something that's been a tradition for over three decades. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. There are a couple of killer movies in theaters now. I'll review one and tee up another. Plus... I watched an excellent horror film that I've been meaning to get around to for nine years. Before we do anything, we got to talk about the fact that I did something this week I had no intentions of doing, but it ended up swallowing half my week. I revisited... The Simpsons Halloween, the Treehouse of Horror. One of my buddies sends me Simpsons memes almost every day, and he sent one that happened to be from a Simpsons Halloween special. And I thought, these are like Disney Plus has all of the Simpsons, so why not go back and revisit some of these? And then it turns out, Jeff. You did too? I did the same thing. I, I didn't have a buddy sending me stuff, but I saw something on somewhere on social media, Simpsons. I was like, ooh, I was looking for something Halloween-y, and you know what a scaredy cat I am. So I was like, <laughs> what's something fun that's Halloween? I was like, oh, Simpsons. So I did watch, uh, I think, the first, well, certainly the first one and part of the second one. Okay. So, yeah, I ended up, I made, and I joked with him. He sent that to me on Monday, I think. Yeah. And uh, I joked him, that might end up, being my whole day. And it turns out it was. There I watched go. eight of oh the first God. eight of them. And then I ended up watching four more. I kind of need a, need a bit of a break now, like even getting through eight that day. And it's only like 20 minutes each, 22 minutes, but it, it felt like a bit of a slog. Yeah. Well, because each episode, of course, has three stories, right? Yeah. So eight times three is 24. That's a lot of, <laughs> lot of Simpson stories. But I'm, I'm so glad I, I revisited. I should point out at first I think I mentioned we it might have just been last week but we recently talked about how the Simpsons and you know since it's been remastered it's in widescreen and I hate that for the original seasons where the aspect ratio was yeah. not widescreen no. and you I think said that they they changed that so when it came on in widescreen I thought oh okay well I guess I gotta do this so I watched like 11 of them in widescreen and then I finally googled Simpsons aspect ratio and it pointed out there's like a super simple way to turn that off. Oh really? It's just one of the options there. Yeah, so if you when you go to the Simpsons on Disney Plus and there's the tabs up top that say episodes and I think the other one is extras and there's another one that says details. So you go to details. Oh, that's right. And there's a spot where it says enhanced aspect ratio and it's it's turned on. And you can just turn it off. Nice. So that left me frustrated because I was like, as much as I was enjoying it, I was getting angry at the fact that the top and the bottom of the screen were being cut off. And it looked like they had to do that, like a pan and scan. I guess this would be a tilt and scan uh, in certain spots. So I ended up going back and rewatching a couple of the first ones in the proper aspect ratio. But I'm also glad that I went back because... Like, my gosh, the first one came out in 1990, October 25th, 1990. I was 13. Yeah. And there were some of those early, like in the first two, three Halloween episodes, there were some that I didn't really like. And having getting to go back and revisit them, 
You know what? This is really good. Like the thing, the Edgar Allan Poe part at the end of the first one. Oh, yeah. Which I'm pretty sure neither you nor I appreciated, uh, you know, the work that was put into that the first time we saw it when it was first on because we were, like you said, 14, 13, 14, 15 years old, whatever it was. So, yeah, the stuff like that, I just find that was, especially with The Simpsons, often with Seinfeld as well, that you rewatch it 20 years later, you've grown more, you've just ingested more uh, references or whatever, and you get more stuff out of it, right? That's yeah. just the way it is. So it's absolutely with old Simpsons. Well, and with the Raven, and you're right, I think yeah. I I think I enjoyed it, but didn't love it. But I just want to, I've, I've got like, I could pull like a thousand clips just from those first 12 episodes. I'm not going to do that, but I do have a couple I want to play from that one. Take thy beak from off my heart and take thy farm from off my door. Quoth the raven. Nevermore. Take thy beak from out my heart and take thy farm from off my door. Quoth the raven. Nevermore. Why, you little... Oh! Come back here, you little raven! So what I love about that, that clip just sort of exemplifies what they did so well with this. And you're right, the work that went into this episode, it's a beautiful episode. It's really masterfully done, but it's still perfectly Simpsons. Yeah. Like it's this classic tale, but it's just, it, they've Simpsonized it and it works so beautifully. Like, especially when you listen to this juxtaposition here of Homer going insane and then into the voice of the legendary James Earl Jones. Raven, ever flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting on the pallet bust of Pallas just above my chamber door, and his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming, and the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor, and my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore. See, I just I got goosebumps listening to that. Yeah, you all have been hired James Earl Jones, and that's what's going to happen, right? Yeah, and then uh, so then so the the first one was cool, and we also met Kang and Kodo, who of course become yep. a legendary staple in The Simpsons. It would not be uh, in a, a complete episode without them at least making an appearance. Absolutely, it's also the thing in general with these episodes because you know it's animation, and you can sort of do whatever you want. But The Simpsons tries to to some degree keep it grounded in reality. But then you know with the Halloween episodes, they could just the the leash has been cut and they can just run wild and do whatever whatever crazy thing just enters the brain of the writers and producers they can just put on screen and I think that's why we love it so much it just gets absolutely nutty yeah the aliens Kang and Kodos and you're and on Monsters. the subject of the cartoons I, this is not me being an, an old fuddy duddy or anything but I just sort of laughed like Good God, these are so violent. <laughs> like the wanton yeah. violence on display in these episodes is fantastic. But what I forgot about, I mean, I remembered the episode, The Monkey's Paw, but it's it's a classic skit, and that's in the second one. So see, the first Treehouse of Horror was in season two. So then Treehouse of Horror 2 was in season three and so on and so forth. But I forgot how expertly that episode satirizes the Simpsons, because one of the wishes is for the Simpsons to be rich and famous. Uh, but the, the the guy who sold Homer the monkey's paw said, "Be be warned, yeah. these wishes will come with a curse." And uh, so the the Simpsons walk into the restaurant, and everybody's back talking them, saying, "Ah, at first they were cute and funny, but now I'm just sick of them." And that's kind of <laughs> how it went, right? Remember oh, yeah. that? Yeah, it was. And remember, I mean. 
my parents hated The Simpsons. Like, my mom, if she was at home, we couldn't watch it. We could only watch it when she wasn't home because it was just, you know, just might as well be an R-rated comedy that your children are trying to watch kind of a thing. That's how people felt about The Simpsons when they first came out. The parents didn't really like them. Yeah, and then, like, we had just those first few years in particular just had a string of classics. Like, this is one of my favorite bits. So you like donuts, eh? Uh-huh. Well... Have all the donuts in the world! <laughs> there he goes. He's in the division of ironic punishment in hell at the moment, eating all the donuts in the world. Being force-fed the donuts. Yeah. More. <laughs> I don't understand it. James Coco went mad in 15 minutes. Such a classic gag, and I actually bought my friend, uh, there are some really fancy Simpsons sort of, like, busts or whatever models that you yeah. can buy and that's one of them and it's uh, recreated so beautifully but it, like even the lines I just was writing down j- random notes that I enjoyed in uh, episode 2 so the Treehouse of Horror 2 Mr. Burns says this is the greatest breakthrough in labor relations since the Cat 09 Tales <laughs> just classic <laughs> Simpsons writing they had the Dracula episode the, so the devil by the way is in episode 4 uh, Dracula in that is also a fantastic send up of vampire movies and then uh, the shinning in episode five was great might be my favorite nightmare on elm street was in uh oh, might be my favorite and in, in well and and the funny thing about these halloween episodes as well is some of the the references that we might use just randomly talking about the simpsons i forgot how many of them were in these halloween episodes like this one it all started on the 13th hour of the 13th day of the 13th month <laughs> we were there to discuss the misprinted calendars the school had purchased <laughs> oh lousy smart weather yep <laughs> <laughs> and that episode six by the way the sixth one that contained that uh that was in 1995 that had that landmark uh sketch uh homer cubed where they did the, oh, the, the 3D, 3d animation, animation. yeah and that won them all kinds of awards. So that was that was groundbreaking at the time for animated uh, television. And then uh, this clip in particular, I've used this dozens of times over the years in the couch potatoes. But Aquaman, you cannot marry a woman without gills. You're from two different worlds. Oh, I've wasted my life. <laughs> That's in episode eight. The Omega Man, and there that actually ha- that has a whole bunch of gags that are classic Simpsons gags that like when you, you you might just quote them or remember them and have no context and it doesn't matter anyway. I could go on and on. I've watched twelve. I don't know if I'll make it through all thirty five, but because I guarantee there are some that I haven't seen before. But uh, this was a lot of fun that I was not expecting to have this week. And I'm gonna absolutely watch a few more this weekend uh, from those classic seasons, the first dozen years like you watched already. So yeah. Thanks for bringing that back up because that's some good Halloween entertainment for a guy like me that doesn't really enjoy scary movies. I mean, I got these Simpsons episodes and Hubie Halloween, and that's about it. <laughs> the new Treehouse of Horror, by the way, debuts on November 5th. I always hated when they did it after after October, but what was it? Because of World Series Baseball. Yeah. yeah. So what do you do? All right. Up next, we have to tee up the latest from 
one of the coolest directors of all time. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. A new movie from David Fincher is out in theaters this weekend and a couple of weeks ahead of its Netflix debut. It's called The Killer, starring Michael Fassbender. Stick to your plan. Never yield an advantage. Stick to the plan. Fight only the battle you're paid to fight. Ask yourself, what's in it for me? Stick to the players. Empathy, weakness, vulnerability. This is what it takes if you want to succeed. Simple. So The Killer is in theaters this weekend on a limited release. You might have to hunt for it, but it'll definitely be on Netflix on November 10th. So I assume most people will just wait for that. I like when they at least put the movie in theaters for a couple of weeks, especially, you know, for the good movies from big name directors. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon is going through a similar thing with Apple TV+. Plus, Although it's got a longer window than this new David Fincher movie. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon won't stream before December, I don't think. I don't think they've announced a time. Uh, Like I said, this killer... This other Fincher movie, not in wide release like the Scorsese picture, uh, might not even be playing in every single city. So happy hunting there, everybody. I'm excited for it. Uh, Fincher, of course, is the master behind such movies as Seven, The Game, Fight Club, Zodiac, The Social Network, and Gone Girl. The killer is described on IMDb as an assassin begins to psychologically crack as he develops a conscience, even as his clients continue to demand his skills. Aside from Fassbender, Tilda Swinton is also in it, as are a couple of recognized faces like Charles Purnell and Arliss Howard. Not a huge A-list cast, but for me, it's the name Fincher that's worth getting excited about. He's one of my favorite directors, and he's due for a killer movie, no pun intended. His last movie was the movie Mank in 2020, which was good, but it's not for everyone. It was very much a labor of love for him, and Netflix gave him a green light, uh, undoubtedly because he delivered House of Cards to them, which really helped them bump up subscriptions in their early days of streaming. Mank told the story of the guy who wrote Citizen Kane, and it's an excellent companion to the movie. If you ever do watch Citizen Kane again, be sure to watch Mank shortly afterwards. They go very well together. Uh, Like I said, Fincher's got this interesting career flow. If you look at his movies, I would say every second movie is either a masterpiece or close to it. His first one was Alien 3. That wasn't a masterpiece. But 7, his next one was The Game, which I love, but no. The Fight Club, yes. Panic Room, no. Zodiac, yes. On and on and on. Um, Mank wasn't really, so maybe The Killer will be. Here's hoping. The most exciting thing about it, though, is it's less than two hours long. One hour, 58 minutes. That'll be a nice change of pace from seemingly every other movie I've seen in theaters this year. And honestly, I'm hoping it's just a great Fassbender performance. That dude has had a weird career. He kept trying to jump into franchises, but then the franchises would kind of die off. X-Men, I guess he did a couple of good X-Men movies. Um, then he tried the Prometheus and the Alien franchise, and that didn't really go anywhere. He tried starting a franchise with the movie The Snowman, where he played Detective Harry Hall. <laughs> We shouldn't laugh, but that's the guy's name. I know. Apparently, it might be supposed to be pronounced Harry Olay. Yeah, Hule or something. Hule, something like that. But yeah, no, it's Detective Harry Hole. <laughs> that was based on a series of books, and I'm sure they were looking to make a series of movies if the you know the first one hit. But that movie was just terrible, and it bombed hard. Fastbender hasn't even made a movie since 2019's Dark Phoenix, which was, uh, I guess, the worst X-Men movie, because he's been racing cars in Europe the last few years. So uh, I... 
he likes that. I like him a lot. He likes to race cars. I think he could be a pretty great actor in the right thing, so I'm excited to see him in The Killer. If it sparks some sort of fast benders on, so I'd be down with that. <laughs> so uh, the potential for greatness baked into the bones of the movie. Hopefully it doesn't disappoint. It is at 84% on Rotten Tomatoes with some pretty enthusiastic reviews, so I'm getting my hopes up for this one. I've already got my ticket, and we'll have more to say about that next week. Yeah, and on the subject of Netflix releasing a movie in theaters in limited fashion for a couple of weeks, I just saw a trailer this week for another one that they're doing like that, and this one has a big cast or big name cast. It's called Leave the World Behind. It stars Julia Roberts, Mahershala Ali, Ethan Hawke are the big three. Kevin Bacon is in the supporting cast, and it looks pretty cool. It's about a family vacation, so Julia Roberts and Ethan Hawke, they they go on this vacation, they rent this house, and then the vacation is interrupted by two strangers bearing news of a mysterious blackout but the the like the people who the strangers claim it's their house that they were on their way somewhere oh. and then they had to come back and now they all have to learn to coexist and in the meanwhile it's it seems like the, it sounds like the world is collapsing around them so that comes out huh. in theaters uh, limited wise November 22nd and then arrives on Netflix on December 8th so a couple of big options coming to Netflix or and in limited fashion to select theaters up next speaking of legendary directors we mentioned Fincher how about one of the most legendary directors of them all and Jeff has seen his latest that's next you are listening to the couch potatoes Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. I had a chance, like a lot of other people, to see Martin Scorsese's latest this past week. It's Killers of the Flower Moon. From the director of The Wolf of Wall Street. And based on a true American story. Please send help. There's murder in this town. There's $25,000 laying there. I was sent down from Washington, D.C. to see about these murders. What's he found out? Nothing. You seem nervous. I got no nerve. Think someone's gonna hurt you. You think I'm gonna hurt you? Killers of the Flower Moon. Much has been made about the running time of this movie, which clocks in at three and a half freaking hours long, making it among the longest movies of all time, I'm sure. But it's not even Martin Scorsese's longest. The Irishman from 2019 is apparently three minutes longer. So his last two movies have been a combined seven hours in length. The good news is the time didn't bother me a whole lot. You get into the movie, you stop worrying about the clock. Now, I did take measures to cut down on the chances I'd have to use the bathroom. And it worked. I didn't have to get up, which was good because I went alone to the screening and I wouldn't have had anyone to whisper to me if I'd missed something important. Uh, I would also say I'm pretty sure Scorsese could have made a pretty great movie in two and a half hours. There wasn't a ton of stuff or long sections that stuck out as things that should be cut, but I imagine a guy of his talents could actually have crafted a movie in two and a half hours, no problem. So Scorsese sort of wins the runtime argument, I guess, although I still think they ought to be putting intermissions in. The movie's so long, you could only screen it three times a day anyways, and an extra ten minutes for an intermission I don't think changes changes that. I would say it's doable, and I think they should do it. Uh, I think another drawback to the runtime is simply that it brings down the odds of me rewatching it as often as I otherwise might if it were shorter. I'm not sure anybody really cares about that, though. Even me. I mean, Lord knows there's plenty of other movies I love to rewatch when I want to rewatch something, but it'll be a long time before I watch this one again, I'm sure. 
And I'd point to the Irishman on that score. I have wanted to rewatch that many times since it first came out four years ago, and I've still only seen it the one time, and the reason is that it's so long. Anyways, so once you've conquered the runtime issues, the question is, is the movie any good? And the answer is yes. It's actually a pretty great movie. It's based on a true story of the Osage Nation in Oklahoma in the 1920s. Oil has been found on the reservation land, and they all get really rich off it, but then they start dying, and there's straight-up cold-blooded murder that we see, and we see there's murders made to look like suicides. There's murders meant to look like death by natural causes. But it is all murder, and it is all with the intent of separating the Osage from their wealth. In fact, one of the common methods is for a white man to marry an Osage woman. Then she dies, and he is left with her oil head rights and all the money that comes with it. Robert De Niro is a very bad man in this movie. He is orchestrating a lot of the bad things that are going on in this field. And he has a nephew who's freshly back from World War I, played by Leonardo DiCaprio who falls in love with an Osage woman for real. She's played by Lily Gladstone. Uh, she has a mother and a couple of sisters, and a lot of bad things are about to come their way. Like so many of Scorsese's movies, Killers of the Flower Moon is just a grim look at the horrors that one human being will perpetrate against another for money. The mob guys in the mob movies he's made just live for that. Jordan Belfort in The Wolf of Wall Street was like that, less violently, but no less greedily. And I'm sure if we dug deep, we'd find more examples. Maybe Jake LaMotta in Raging Bull, that's not really about money, but he does let, you know, his obsessions destroy his life and those lives of, his, of those around him. At any rate, it's not really new ground thematically for Martin Scorsese, but it is refreshingly new ground as far as the setting goes. He's a New York guy through and through, and all, most of his movies are set there, so it's kind of cool to see him setting up shop in the prairies. There was a $200 million budget for this movie, apparently, and it's all on screen. The movie looks fantastic. He does not use a ton of visual flair like he often does though i think maybe the prairie landscapes calmed him down a bit and he didn't need to get frenetic with the camera like he often does or maybe he just wanted to change up a style or maybe he just wanted the story to speak for itself it's powerful stuff some of it is quite upsetting especially in the age of truth and reconciliation and of course missing and murdered indigenous women and girls of which there is a lot in this film the reasons are different of course uh from a hundred years ago from today, except that overall the reason is the same, and that is simply the disregard for human life. It's heavy stuff, and the movie takes a very pointed look at true crime as entertainment, which I think maybe played a role in Scorsese not getting too flashy on the style front. That's probably the most interesting conversation to have about the movie. But you can't really do it without spoilers. Suffice to say, Scorsese reminds us before we walk out of the theater that these killings really happened and were real, and we should reckon with that on a human level as opposed to just having enjoyed a very long movie. The performances are all top shelf. Uh, DiCaprio, De Niro, and Gladstone, I think they'll all be nominated for awards, and uh, any win would be well-earned. It's got to be De Niro's best performance in 20 years. I'm trying to think back. He... Uh, Silver Linings Playbook and some of the movies with that director were pretty good. I like Meet the Parents a lot, but you might have to go back to uh, Casino and Heat in the mid-90s to, or Ronin in 97 to find a, another really good De Niro performance. There are a lot of great smaller performances as well. A couple of the old men from No Country for Old Men show up for a scene or two, including that gas station owner that had to call the coin toss. You know, it's a memorable scene when you spot that guy 15 years later in another small role. Uh, the late great Robbie Robertson did the soundtrack, which is very effective. He and Scorsese went 
way back. Uh, Scorsese made the concert movie The Last Waltz about Robertson's band, The Band, in the late 70s. So this movie, powerful stuff all around. Really a great film. One of the highlights of the year for sure. Uh, don't let the runtime be the thing that keeps you from seeing it, especially once it's out on streaming uh, in the not-too-distant future. I am going to give Killers of the Flower Moon four and a half. Coach Cushions out of five. All right. I'll have to check that out when it is available on home video because I just know I will not be able to sit through the theater for that. I will tell you what's new, what else is new in theaters because Jeff already teed up the new David Fincher movie, The Killer, which is out in select theaters. So just check your listings before you run out to the theater, assuming it's there. But also new, this one is opening wide Five Nights at Freddy's. No, not Freddy Krueger. Welcome to Freddy's. We must be new security guards. But I love this place as a kid. But it's shut down. What is she doing here? I couldn't find a sitter. Have you met them yet? Met who? Hello? Security hires never last. Can we go home now? So this movie's about a security guard as he begins working at Freddy Fazbear's Pizza. While spending his first night on the job, he realizes the night shift at Freddy's won't be so easy to make it through because there are these, like, I don't know, animatronic bears or whatever, but they appear to come alive and want to kill him. It's not getting great reviews. Also new this week, John Cena stars in Freelance. Do you know that feeling when you're doing exactly what you were put on the earth to do? The one where it's like everything inside you is moving together in harmony with the universe. No! Me neither. But, you know, one can hope, right? Wave to mommy, because she'll hate me even more than she already does if you don't. I seem to recall you saying that becoming a lawyer would only crush your soul. Yeah, it has. I'm running a business, and right now that business is getting a journalist in and out of Paldonia. No. It's a one-off. No, no, and no. Who's a journalist? I have resigned my position here. Madison. 20 grand says you are. So he plays an ex-Special Forces operative. He's stuck in this desk job that he hates, uh, and he reluctantly takes on a freelance gig to provide private security for a washed-up journalist who's played by Alison Brie, and uh, there's this dictator who, I guess, wants to get her or something. I don't know. There's a military coup, and John Cena's got to get her out alive, and they, honestly, Ron, it looked, this mo when I watched the trailer for this, I thought, yeah. that looks okay, but it, it doesn't look like something you would normally expect to see on a big screen. It looks like a straight-to-video kind of movie. Yeah, I mean, because it stars, like when John Cena is the main guy, it's usually a streaming movie, you know? When he's part of an ensemble, it's often in theaters. But So I agreed with that. I don't know if maybe the strikes are pushing, have pushed some other movies back, so maybe they're trying to fill some theater spaces with some streaming movies. Yeah, and uh, like one, here's the head, one headline, John Cena deserves better, and so do we. Or John Cena needs work, but surely there were better options than going freelance. So, I don't know. You might want to avoid that. But up next, I will tell you about a scary movie that I watched over the weekend that I loved, and I've been meaning to get to it for, as it turns out, a bit longer than I realized. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. This week, I wanted to watch a scary movie. I mean, it's never a bad time to watch a scary movie, but, you know, tis the season. I couldn't think of what to watch, though. And then it just kind of hit me. 
like a bolt of lightning. There was a movie that came out a little while back, or so I thought a little while back, that I've been meaning to see since it came out because I remember it got great reviews. I just never got around to it. Turns out it came out in 2014 already. It's called It Follows. We used to daydream about being old enough to go on dates. I had this image of myself holding hands with a really cute guy driving along some pretty road. It's never about going anywhere, really. It's having some sort of freedom, I guess. <laughs> By the way, it has nothing to do with Stephen King's It. It Follows is about a teenage girl named Jay who's dating a guy and eventually sleeps with him. That's when things go bad. Believe me, and I need you to remember what I'm saying. This thing, it's gonna follow you. Somebody gave it to me, and I passed it to you. Wherever you are, it's somewhere walking straight for you. All you can do is pass it along to someone else. So to summarize, since she slept with him, she's now the proud owner of a fatal curse that is passed from victim to victim via sexual intercourse. And by the way, that's not a spoiler. Like, that's in the movie's synopsis that you can read anywhere. So um, not to, that's kind of what drew me in. Like, oh, yeah, that's what that movie was about. Okay, yeah, I got to check that out because that's a neat concept. So this curse, this entity, is always following her. It can take any form it wants, and she's the only one who can see it. It can only walk towards her, though, so it can't run after her. It doesn't teleport. It's just it walks after her. But it never stops. And if it catches her, she's dead. And that's pretty much all you really need to know. I watched it on Prime. It looks like it's available on Tubi as well and Pluto TV. $1.3 million budget, 20, or $21.9 million total box office. Impressive. 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. Most impressive. And with that budget, I mean, you can tell it's low budget, but not in a bad way. Like, it's no-name actors. There's nothing fancy going on. But what they accomplished with that budget is astonishing in terms of how good this movie looks and is. It's a simple, elegant horror film. And I mean elegant because the camera work is fabulous. It's just got beautiful cinematography, lots of long deliberate shots, lots of slow zooms. It feels very much like something out of the 70s, like something John Carpenter would make, and it kind of has the matching kind of uh, retro synthy musical score, which is excellent. It sort of feels almost like Stranger Things even at times. I wouldn't say this is a frightening film per se to watch. Like there are a few images in the movie that might be you might find scary, but then overall, like the 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 visual component of the movie won't haunt you or give you nightmares. But it's the concept that is frightening because once you learn what's happening, the sense of dread and tension is unrelenting, and the performance by Micah Monroe as the protagonist is outstanding. And it's directed by a guy named David Robert Mitchell. For and from what I can tell, he's only got three movies to his name, and all three movies are. It's like a spiritual trilogy. The Myth of the American Sleepover was his first. It Follows is the second. And Under the Silver Lake is the third. And my understanding is the movies aren't connected by story, but they are connected thematically. The first one is about kids. Second is about teens. Third is about 
early adulthood. And uh, It Follows is a thought-provoking film. Like, what would you do if you got the curse? Would you try to pass it on? knowing you are potentially giving someone a death sentence. Many have assumed it's a metaphor for getting an STI, uh, but I interpreted it more as innocence lost or the baggage and crushing disappointment that can come with what happens next in a relationship with someone after sex is introduced. It can, it can feel like a burden or like a curse. Like, let's say a guy uses a girl just to get sex and he gets it and then, you know, dump fill. The movie is a little slow at times, but I didn't mind that. I mentioned the word deliberate earlier, so I enjoyed the pace. Also, there's not much going on in the movie. Pretty simple story. It's more of an exploration of the relationships between the characters, which I also didn't mind. And it ultimately has an exciting climactic scene with a bit of an ambiguous ending that might leave some frustrated. And it is worth pointing out the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is 66% versus 95% from the critics. I loved it. Maybe a little too slow at times. And even though it's only one hour, 41 minutes, probably should have maxed out at 90 minutes. But I'm going to give It Follows four and a half couch cushions out of five. Once again, I found it on Prime. Looks like it's on Tubi as well. And Pluto TV. And I just got to quickly follow up on something I discussed last week. I told you how I got caught up on season one of Gen V. That's Prime's spinoff show from The Boys. The superhero satire that's terrific and fun and violent and horrifying all in one. It's about the university where super people go to train, go to learn. As of last week's episode of The Couch Potatoes, five episodes have been released. The sixth one came out last Friday, the 20th, and two more episodes remain. But I can tell you I've now seen all of them. No spoilers, don't worry. It was weird because Prime sent us a link to watch episodes seven and eight before... Episode 6 had arrived, so I waited to watch episode 6. Thought about just waiting for 7 and 8 to come out on their own so I could watch them on my television rather than a computer. And yeah, I know you can use a cable to plug your computer into your TV. I don't have that, so I just watch them on the computer anyway. And I said last week I'd have to wait until season's end to determine where Gen V stacks up against the boys. I can now confidently say it is as good, if not better, than the boys and I'm not going to commit to that it's better than the boys just because of the recency bias I just finished watching it but I'd have to almost go back and rewatch the boys but I really enjoyed Gen V it had a really exciting conclusion it had a crazy cliffhanger that leaves you with all kinds of questions and it ties in nicely with the boys and in fact it apparently will lead right into season four of The Boys, and then that season of The Boys will lead right into season two of Gen V. So I really enjoyed this show. I, I think it's tremendous what they've accomplished here, that they've created this spinoff that isn't a throwaway. And if you're at all into superhero stuff, you have to watch The Boys and Gen V. And if you're not into superhero stuff, you might actually enjoy this because of how it satirizes the superhero genre and turns it upside down. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.